gonna let you in on a little secret about myself. Sometimes, maybe like once a month, at night when it's totally dark, and this is more likely to happen in winter, I'll go up to the window of my house, much more likely to be an upstairs window, and on my own I'll just look out at the night, and that would usually mean looking out onto a suburban street, looking at the street lights, sort of lighting, well, yeah, that's what they do, isn't it? Lighting up the street in this completely static, almost painting-like. There's a light breeze, I'd maybe watch the leaves moving ever so slightly in the tree. I might look out for birds or clouds slowly moving across the sky. And there's something about that scene that I would always find really entrancing and strange and impossible to grasp entirely. Like if I would try to understand it or put it into words, I would lose the weird magical feeling taking hold of me. And I would also kind of wonder like, who else is out there? Because it looks totally abandoned and empty. Is the whole world, or at least my whole suburb, just totally abandoned for half of the day as soon as the sun goes down? What's alive out there, aside from tiny nocturnal animals? And why am I telling you that? Well, the story for this episode is My Country Does Not Dream by Han Song, one of my favourite writers I've found over time reading more and more translated Chinese fiction. And that feeling I've just described to you, I think occurs, for me anyway, as a reader in this story a few times. But that's only one reason that you should read it. It's got all sorts of things for all sorts of readers. And perhaps appropriately, um, I've got more than one guest on for this episode. I've actually got myself and then three members of the London Chinese Science Fiction Group who are, let it be known, all friends of the pod. And they're an awesome group. Who, whose meetings you can just join in for free. Uh, just go to their Twitter or get onto their WeChat group. If you're struggling to get onto that, just let me know. Uh, they've also got a mailing list, which is how they sort of uh, set up these events outside of the, the Great Firewall Zone. It's all done in Zoom. It's fantastic. You should join. Anyway, I should get on with the news, the translated Chinese fiction news. So we got four items this time. I'll try and rattle through these quickly. The first one is an article. It's from Sixth Tone, a really interesting English language, what do you call it, magazine? I don't I think they're maybe web only, but a news website based inside China. And they've got an article called Infinite Scroll, The Making of China's Web Fiction Epics. Uh, to be honest, I have not read this one. I've, you know, I just don't have enough time these days to, to <laughs> properly preview every single news item I, I drop on you guys. But it's all about web fiction in China and the sort of industry, industry angle on it. So yeah, what's to lose? Read that if it interests you. Uh, the next one, I have read this one. This is an article in the Telegraph, or as we call it in the UK, the Torygraph. Uh, it is a right-leaning paper, but they have published an article which has one of the former guests and authors covered on the show. It's Shen Yang. Uh, some of her words appear in an article what, called What Life's Really Like in Lockdown Shanghai. Sorry, I'm competing with millions of people for food. What Life's Really Like in Lockdown Shanghai. I think the title of the article was possibly taken from her her own words, but it's like a basically a compilation of like little quotes from people living through the lockdown that's going on there right now at the time of recording. The article itself came out on uh, the 26th of April. So what, just over a week, uh, 
ago from when I'm recording on the 5th of May. So yeah, just disclaimer there about the dates. Okay, next news. This is uh, this is really self-indulgent meta news, but what the hell? Uh, it is appropriate, as you'll find out. So a short story of mine called Meta Shanghai. That's why I was saying meta is appropriate. Uh, a short story of mine, Meta Shanghai, has come out in a book, in recently published collection of science fiction short stories called Ab Terra 2021. I've read Ab Terra 2020, uh, the previous sort of installment in this anthology, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm just over the moon, actually. Actually over the moon. Literally, actually, really over the moon um, to be in this collection. Feels great, especially to have written a story, kind of, going to caveat it with kind of, about Shanghai. Uh, the elevator pitch for this story that I have sort of formulated is this. A man pining for his old life in Shanghai rebuilds the city in a computer game, but after installing too many mods, the simulation outpaces him. So if you've ever played SimCity, uh, you might have an idea of what I'm hinting at here in this little um, sales pitch for the story. So if that interests you and you want to read more amazing science fiction from authors working today, then you can go order Abtera 2021. There'll be a link in the show notes to the publisher's website. The publisher is Brain Mill Press. Okay, final news item. This is a YouTube video. It was uploaded by Translators Allowed, and it's friend of the pod, former show guest Jack Hargreaves, reading a little something from a book he's translated and is now seeking a publisher for. It's Submarines in the Night, and it's by Chun Chun Chung's book, also called Submarines in the Night. So if you want to get five, actually no, more like six minutes of this charming gentleman reading a piece of fiction he's translated. It's up there on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. Now that is all of the Church of Fig news I prepared for this episode. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. So we're doing something a little bit different for this episode. We are bringing on three guests and two of them have been on the pod uh, in one way or another before and we've got one newcomer that i'm very excited to welcome so we uh, have in no particular order we've got lu guanjiao who is one of the fearless leaders of the london chinese science fiction book club uh, he if, if you're getting deja vu he came on before to talk to me about folding beijing so welcome back guanjiao we got scarlet Zhang, who i believe joined in for the 50th episode party so welcome back scarlet and uh, first time appearing on the show we've got wang jin and i believe correct me if i'm wrong here but scarlet and jin you are sort of new joint leaders of the london sci-fi chinese sci-fi book club did i get that right um yeah not quite a leader yet i would say <laughs> i think you are the leader we are co-leaders all of us so I think we are. We don't have a, a leader and and other other members, and we are equally to, um, especially in running the London Chinese Science Fiction Group. Since Angela is, um, stepping down because she has uh, other work to do. So, but I'm 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 personally very happy to have all these people, new people, and to make this group even more dynamic, uh, than before. I believe. Yeah. Very exciting. So I'm going to try not to lead us through the whole conversation. I'm going to try and take the same model and have us all be equal. But first, I'll just ask you guys if you want to introduce yourselves. Guan Zhao, do you want to introduce yourself first for yeah, anyone who's new? Um, yeah, uh, just in case the, uh, 
I have been on this show like uh, how many years ago? Two years ago. Two right? years, In, crazy. Two years ago, crazy. Mm-hmm. That I, I I remember that was episode seventeen, and I, I don't know which episode is this gonna be. Seventy two, I think. Seventy two, more than seventy, you got. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a huge achievement. But personally, I am very happy to be to be with Angus um, again on this show and to talk about Chinese. Uh, you can say it's science fiction, but you can say Hanson's work is not that quite science fiction in a way. But personally, I am Guangzhou and currently Stu, currently a, a PhD candidate at, at University College London Comparative Literature. And my PhD thesis is actually about uh, a comparative study between contemporary Chinese and British science fiction. For the Chinese side, there are the Chinese New Wave, everyone knows about it, but uh, for the British part, it's called the uh, British science fiction boom, starting from the 90s as well. People like Ian Banks, uh, Ken Matt Lau, China Mieville, and uh, yeah, people like them. So they have a, a, a boom for themselves and also the counterpart in China, the Chinese New Wave. So I'm trying to set up a comparison between these two uh, literary movement of phenomena um, and to connect them to the uh, political and cultural and social background behind them. Yeah, that's, I think, very simply about me. Wonderful. Uh, Scarlett and Jin, do either of you want to introduce yourselves? Hi, everyone. I'm Scarlett Jiangxuan, and I'm a loyal fan of the show. And um, so at the moment, I'm doing some translations, uh, classical music and social media, and I'm very glad to come back for the show. Awesome. And that only leaves one person. Jin, do you want to talk about yourself? Hi, I'm Jin. I'm a girl, 26, living in Beijing now, where the story takes place. I'm a PhD candidate at Beijing Normal University. Okay, that's all. Um, Jin, I wonder if I could ask one more question. Um, um, does your study relate to Chinese science fiction or is Chinese science fiction uh, just a sort of a personal interest for you? Yes, yes, of course. My major is uh, nanology and uh, my, my research is related to Chinese science fiction, especially the contemporary science fiction. Okay, cool. Right. Um, I guess we could dispense with introductions. We, since there's four of us, we could talk about ourselves for hours. But instead, I want to talk about our story for this episode, which I've not named yet in this interview anyway. It's Han Song's My Country Does Not Dream. Uh, I thought I'd drop a little factoid for listeners first. Guangzhou, you mentioned China Mieville, one of the sort of new and 90s, I think, new wave or turn of, yeah, late 90s, turn of the millennium, British writer, or English writer, um, who was part of a bit of a new wave in UK sci-fi. I thought, wait a minute, how old is that guy? I've just checked, he's 49. And yeah. for, compar- for comparison, Han Song is a little bit older than him. He's uh, 56 or 57, depending on how we're counting. So they're kind of contemporaneous, but not quite. I just thought I'd I thought I'd mention that. That's an interesting thing because strange things can happen with time in translated fiction. A story might reach us in English and seem new, but it's from long ago in um, in the original language. I could go on and on about that, but let's keep things moving. Um, what's what is the premise of this, this story? Like the elevator pitch. 
because you just mentioned Mievel again, but mm. he is actually not one of the new wave writers mm. in the Anglo-American context. Is a uh, for for that special for that special period. I think Mievel is part of the boomers of the science fiction. It's called British sci-fi boom. So, um, yeah. So just for clarification, because I know Chinese new wave, the term for it can be confusing from uh, for. Uh, from time to time, because the new wave has got a very particular historical connotation, especially in the English, British and American science fiction. And in the Chinese context, um, it's called the Chinese new wave after, I think, uh, after the 1990 or 1989 stuff and that. So actually, in my PhD, I changed that term. I changed that term to the Chinese sci-fi boom to make that comparison with British counterpart. Right. Uh, but, but still, it's kind, of, it's kind of an interchangeable term. So it, it means the same thing, just to, uh, I, I, in my study, just to, um, yeah, just to make a comparison, just to set up a counterpart, counterpart stuff between the two, two booms, actually. Uh, actually, this story, I... It, it it's really hard to define it. Um, you, we can say because Han Han work is 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 always hard to define. It's science fiction or like you mentioned, Mieva was the kind of new weird writing, right? Because everything seems very e- eerie and weird and strange, and that that is. Uh, sort of definitional to to Han Song's other works as well, uh, apart from this one. And this one actually, I believe, it talks about sleepwalking, and that is if we if we just use one word to to summarize everything, sleepwalking, mm. and people find themselves uh, sleepwalking uh, over the nighttime, and to continue their daytime work actually, but they are not conscious about all of this kind of a, a contribution to the society. And people keep working without rest and keep making, you know, economic contributions and to make the uh, the the the, uh, the country's development and to the GDP stuff and that. And there's, I think, one character got enlightened by a outcome or out some, someone someone coming from the US he said uh, it's an outcome it's a typical um, I think typical literary theme in Chinese literature in the past and people coming from the outside of the environment to say something or to intercept what is going on within a certain con- within a certain context but anyway the character called Xiao Ji, yeah, he he got enlightened. He knows everything, and he and and, and he just like uh, try. He was just like trying to escape um, the uh, some kind of secret place going after him. And I think the the ending is quite ambiguous, um, uh, just like in Han Song's other work as well. And it seems that Xiao Ji is running away with his wife. Um, to to some place, but uh, it, it can also be interpreted interpreted that um, he he got nowhere to go. He got nowhere to go, but to uh, to end his life and 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 to to be in a kind of a uh, everlasting sleeping without walking some some kind of a state that that. that. Yeah, I'm not sure if I can if I have made this um, uh, kind of, uh, explanation of the story clear enough for 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 the show or for the conversation. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty good. Uh, did, does anyone want to fill in anything they feel Guangzhou missed? Yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. Yeah, I I not nothing else springs to mind with me. I guess another sort of line of the plot is Xiaoji's wife 
they first notice or one of the signs something is amiss is that he and his wife have both got new clothes, men and women's clothes in their cupboards. And they uh, that becomes a source of strife. She accuses him of, I guess, doing something, probably cheating behind uh, behind her back. Uh, but once he's sort of become aware of what's going on, he ends up tailing his wife to see where she's going. And as she's sleepwalking, she's having a sort of not quite coerced, but clearly non-consensual liaison with this guy who is really high up in the Chinese government, basically, in, in the Communist Party. And he's this 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 official is not uh, not one of the sleepwalkers. And I guess spoil well, I've already spoiled it, but spoilers, he sort of reveal he he reveals the whole nature of the plan and what's going on. And a thing that's quite interesting is he says, well, he's he kind of he says contradictory things. On one hand, he says, this is the necess- this is we're doing what's necessary to help China catch up with the US and its allies. This is the only way to do it. Playing sort of playing it fair or using conventional means wouldn't work. But he also says this is not about China. This is about bigger stuff. This is about elevating the human race to the next stage of economic development and opening up new doors. But he doesn't specify what those are. Um, and that that's interesting. I think that might be interesting for our conversation to, to flag that. And I know we're kind of just going to summarize the story and what happens, but a big theme or a thing that goes on in Xiaoji's mind is like that he wrestles with is I guess his, his patriotism, because on one hand he's found out something awful about his country, but he gets mixed feelings because um, it's an American that reveals it to him. And this American guy seems to enjoy revealing it to him. And I don't know that, that, that vibe with some of the experiences I had living as a foreigner in China, for sure. I think I witnessed conversations like that. Um, So I thought I'd, mention that as well other thing i wanted to mention is it's quite funny that you had to correct me there guanjiao about mixing up the uh english sci-fi or the english language sci-fi new wave and the english language sci-fi boom because the last time you were on the show talking about beijing uh yeah folding beijing i made the exact same mistake and you (laughs) you gave me the exact same correction so clearly i've learned nothing To, to keep things moving along, I wondered if we could talk about how we first read this story. Who read? Who 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 here read this like ages ago? Did any of you guys read this ages ago? Uh, I think we did the session in that uh, book club um, exactly a year ago. Uh, so I read it a year ago, and like for this interview, I reread it like a few days ago. So, but like, I vaguely remembered what happened in that story, but like, I felt differently when I read it again. Mm, exactly the same here. Uh, first time I read this was for, for the, the Sci-Fi Book Club. Um, I actually went and bought the book that the translation appears in, uh, which is an interesting book I might talk about in a bit. Uh, Jin, uh, how did, 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 was that your first encounter with the story as well? I read it for this talk yesterday. And uh, when I had read the first two chapters of this story, I thought it would never be published in China. <laughs> so far, so true. Yeah, there's no chance that this could get published in China. It's it's really mm-hmm. political. I'm I'm actually impressed that Han Song's happy with happy to get this published abroad. It's impressive, really. Um, Guan Zhao, had had you read this one before the book club covered it? 
Actually, I heard about this story many many years ago, but I I didn't really read it back then. So my first time encountering this story is also for the, uh, for the, for the reading group last year in April. And and actually, Hanson is quite. I believe he himself is quite happy about this story because, um, and he is also, uh, he also wishes to touch on touch on some. Uh, relatively more sensitive topics, it, because when I when I was doing the summary, when I was doing the uh, summary of the uh, reading group last year, I I sent him the, the 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 draft and for some revision, and he actually he's he's really keen to because he he mentioned some topics that I personally wouldn't think the WeChat gonna publish it, mm. so I to to I make to uh, make it vague. To because he he said he said you know quite straightforward way but I I make I made a fake, and he 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 asked me why I did that so I just had to uh, had to clarify that it's not my if if I if I if I just put it that way so uh, WeChat gonna 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 have the uh, the scrutiny uh, more. Uh, yeah, it just took more time. Actually, it did. It did take more time to to publish uh, this summary. I too, because for the regular session, it just sent. It, it will be just sent uh, sent sent out right away after after I mm. yeah after I just finish our copy editing and everything. But for that, it took. Um, for that session, it took uh, I, uh, three hours. Three hours. Uh, yeah, right. something definitely happened in the background. So people maybe operating the system they have to check everything but yeah. luckily it got it got published i i have already told hanson that we may have a problem publishing something but uh, still very uh, still it just went out anyway after a long wait but i got a sense i got a sense that hanson himself is quite um yeah he got some message and I think that some that message quite deliberate, uh, just some something he wished to uh, discuss and trying to um, yeah send out kind of voice with this publication. Anyway, the publishing uh, th- this story is circulated online quite spreadly or widely, I think. So people, if you are um, you, you you can still read it. Because if you know something about the Chinese uh, online, if you can't read it, so you can't read it anywhere. But you, you can still find the story pretty uh, pretty easy. Just the Baidu, uh, I think, um, sure. uh, you can get the story. So it's not that hard to find, even though it's not officially published anywhere. Right. So you can get it in like web page form, but you can't get it in print, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. but you can you can find the story, and if you can like the print. Uh, uh, for printing, I believe there are uh, more uh, regulations about the publishing or the publish agency. They got some sp- special concerns, uh, more things going on. But if you can publish online, I think you can just see uh, uh, evade many of these problems. I had some similar experiences way back when I wanted to try and get this show uh, beyond, uh, in, well, inside the PRC, basically. Wang Zhao, you actually almost you offered to help me because I was a little bit stuck getting signed up for Shimalaya, the mainland uh, podcast service. And in the end, I, I didn't need your help. But anyway, I, I got myself signed up there and started uploading the show there, as well as all the international podcast providers. And I did notice for some episodes, usually the more sensitive ones, they would uh, have a very strangely long processing time after I did the upload. 
Uh, most of them didn't, but a few of them, yeah, it would take so long to process that either, you know, something in the site had gone wrong or a human being, it was, you know, waiting for a human being, presumably at an office desk to get to it. So it's kind of interesting that I think in a lot of, at least for people outside China who know a little bit about the Great Firewall, they maybe imagine that it's a completely automatic system where if you use the wrong keyword, your thing just gets taken down. But actually, for something like this, there must be some people employed who will be manually checking stuff to see whether it's, um, you know, a little bit sensitive, but still okay to go online. So it's not a completely binary, you're, 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 um, you're deleted or you're not deleted. There's a little bit of a gray area. And I guess this story seems to be in that gray area. It's interesting. Um, I wonder if for each of you, before you read the story, you'd had a lot of experience reading other Han Song stories because I had. Were any of you guys huge or big Han Song fans? I'm not a Han Song fan. I don't know Mr. Han Song in real life. All I know about him is his byline. Based on my limited reading experience, his novel, his novels are kind of difficult to read and, and maybe... He is not my dish. <laughs> right. Um, Scarlett, what about you? I think there was only one we talked about in the sci-fi club section, like a long time ago. That was one of the other I have read. Yeah. It, because like his writing, it's a bit like cold and ruthless and that kind of thing. Like for myself, I would probably read more like very emotional things or yeah but yeah it's like pretty personal i think right yeah he's um he's among the uh chinese sci-fi writers who i've read in english translation he's definitely mr mr dark um <laughs> I, I i think the only other stuff that i've read that is as dark is uh Liu, some of the stories but they don't feel like they've never felt to me like very gothic or psychologically twisted and they're more just dark because it's like they're pessimistic about the way the universe works or some terrible event happens where thousands and millions of people die whereas in Han Song it's like um it's more twisted and sinister and at least in some of his stories that I've read not in not in all of them I also had kind of associated him with like transport because I know he's got a trilogy what is it DTA Gautier, something else. He's got a trilogy all about railways, and a few of the stories available in English are also about transport. There's one translated by Ken Leo about submarines. There's one translated by Nathaniel Isaacson about passenger planes. But this one's, if it's about anything like that, it's about like ur- the urban economy working working in a city. But yeah, I'll, I'll stop going on and on and on about my own opinions and ask you guys, um, like, what was your first? impression reading the story and then if you read it a second time how did you feel coming back to it Guanjiao what about you you must have some deep 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 thoughts oh I I can't say I have uh, any <laughs> deep thought in, in that sense and oh. because reading reading Han Song is like a like a decoding process mm. and yeah his story is always coded with lots of um uh, symbols and lots of uh, 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 referent, re- political references and historical references that lack. So, um, so in, in in that sense, when when you reread it, 
when someone read, read a story, I mean, they, you were always you were always got something something new about this story. For example, when I was uh, when I was reading story for the first time last year, I noticed yeah because the the most straightforward theme for the story is the uh, sleepwalking and the sleepwalking. And back then, I I I, I didn't really think really very deep about it. But for this time, I read it. today actually I got I, I suddenly got this sleepwalking. Uh, we can we can interpret the sleepwalking um, uh, from the perspective of the uh, the the loss of sleep because it, it reminds me of a book. Uh, do you know the Jonathan Cray? Jonathan Cray's Twenty Four Seven. This do you know that book? I don't, but I'm gonna look that up right now. So so is yeah I got I got it by my hand. It's called twenty 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 four seven late capitalism and the end of sleep. So oh, right. it, yeah. So so this writer just talk about the sleep and the end of sleep from the political economic perspective and how we uh, incorporate the the process of sleep into our political economy. So I think this story, if we read from that perspective, it also means that we are using. The time of sleep,、uh, because for、uh, in the past, sleep is the non-productive process. So people just they、uh, they were doing nothing、uh, when we sleep. So for 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 Jonathan Cray, so the sleep means the last the last place, the last utopia for human beings to be away from the capitalist uh, uh, capitalist market, capitalist exploitation. Or for the for the capitalist, it's like the last unexploited box of treasures. It's a bit like. How they're waiting for the North Pole to melt so they can、uh, build up new shipping lanes to speed up、uh, delivery times. Yeah, exactly. And when we have that sleep incorporated in the process, so it means that we have lost the last utopia of human beings. And and just like Xiaojin's story, they got not, they got literally nowhere to go in the end. So because uh, uh, the 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 government is trying to. To put this system, to put the sleep、uh, sleepwalking system everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world, including that the surrounding nations. It's not only China anymore. So it means a process, I believe, a process of globalization, especially the、uh, the killing. The、uh, it's not the killing. It's not the、uh, subsumption. I believe it's kind of a subsumption to subsume everyone into a, the same into the same logic. Of money, of 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 the market as well.、Um, I think that's the thing I have realized for this time when I was reading the story. But I believe there are also other ways to interpret everything.、Uh, just one way of many, because Hanson is always ambiguous. Intentionally, I believe, to make everything not clear enough and to leave some room for 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 reading it. Yeah, I I thought I'd read a little quoted review on the. Uh, publisher's page for that for the book you just named there, late capitalism and the ends of sleep, because this is a really nice analysis.、Uh, I'll just read it. It's from Stephen Poole writing for the New Statesman. He said, "Sleep is a standing affront to capitalism." That is the argument of Jonathan Cray's provocative and fascinating essay, which takes twenty four seven as a spectral umbrella term for round the clock consumption and production in today's world. The human power nap is a macho response to what Cray notes. Is the alarming shrinkage of sleep in modernity? The average North American adult now sleeps approximately six and a half hours at night. He observes, which is an erosion from eight hours a generation ago and ten hours in the early twentieth century. A humane and bracingly splenetic counterblast with lots of interesting microtheses along the way. And I thought, oh shit, six and a half hours is basically how long I sleep. But 
the the thing there is i don't i don't shave off that sleep to do more work i shave off that sleep usually to consume something a book or media and the point about consuming is something i didn't really pick up on the first time i read the story for the sci-fi group i noticed this second time around that although um everyone is working twice as hard by doubling their hours by working at night no one gets richer because everyone spends their extra like what would be their savings uh on consumer products when they're sleepwalking so um the shaoji and his wife are spending it on clothes and we're told that other people like people in the countryside they're working double time as well but then they're while they're sleepwalking they're going into the city to buy useless crap that doesn't advance their lives because this is another way you supercharge a consumer economy you um people don't accumulate savings people accumulate crap or these days we don't even accumulate crap we sign up to new subscription services in exchange for like access to streaming which is probably you know, i think didn't netflix uh, describe sleep as their enemy i'm sure i heard about that that that's their biggest opponent isn't say amazon prime netflix's biggest rival is sleep crazy sorry if i went on and on and on there i'm sorry i forgot scarlet and wang jin did you just read this story the one time or have you read it twice i have read it twice okay and was second time round different from first time round uh, the first time when i read it i was like oh interesting and i was like you know what it actually makes sense and somehow it, it might even be true that was what i was thinking the first time i read it and and the second time i think i'm more realistic yeah <laughs> what do you mean by more realistic that it's that you dismissed it as something that's not too real not too scary um the second time i like i just felt like the story is quite refreshing to me like like because like as you said his style is quite gothic and and dark and and then i realized as the way he writes uh it's a sci-fi story the genre is an interesting thing though cuz i i guess i assume all you guys read this one in the original chinese i read it in the book in english in the book it was published in which is part of a series apparently number 5 in a series uh called exploring dark short fiction so in that series han song has been placed alongside as far as i'm aware mostly horror writers not sci-fi writers and it makes perfect sense that you could read this one as sci-fi you could read it as horror you could read it as like weird fiction and to me yeah it's feels like it's a weird fiction as much as it's sci-fi cuz there is something in the, at least in the, this translation there's something in the atmosphere about the story that's very bizarre and uncanny which i kind of feel when i look out the window of my house at night and i see a suburban street lit up by street lights i find something very powerful about that empty world where the lights are still on even though the sun is down uh it really if i think about it too long and if i look out that window for long enough it puts a weird shiver down my spine i don't know do is do you guys feel anything about that about just the nighttime in general or for you is it just a time to sleep uh i do uh i think like when i was in finland I was there during like winter time and when it was dark and there wasn't 
anyone there at all. And it was like all really, really snowy and white and with just lights. And I'm, yeah, it doesn't feel real to me. Mm, yeah. And it's hard to capture that feeling in, in words because it's a feeling that's on one hand, it's entirely in your mind, but on the other hand, it, it is totally a feeling all about the environment around you. Um, but it's not, it's something you can see, but also can't see. And I think that's what makes it weird and so great for weird fiction. There's a bit in the story where the character actually gets a shiver down his spine that I think I maybe sort of enjoyed reading first time around. But on the second time around, I was looking for these moments where there's something strangely beautiful as well as awful about this world that um, the Chinese authorities, the government basically, has created not because they wanted to create something beautiful, but just because they basically wanted basic to, to find a way to cheat, to like double the power of the economy in an underhand way. But he, here's the bit um, that like I really enjoyed second time around. Here we go. Um, by then it was already one o'clock a.m. Xiao Ji looked out of the tower and saw the entire city look like a cluster of shimmering stars had suddenly come to rest on the surface of the earth everywhere bright as broad daylight. A tide of cars wove about like soaring dragons. A stream of people surged like stars in the Milky Way, even more splendid and shimmering than during the daytime. Xiaoji thought the light really is brightest in the darkest night. Beijing's 16 million denizens sleepwalked about the beguiling city. And in the skies, airliners with their lights flashing rumbled overhead in numbers even greater than during the day. Imagining those sonambulant pilots flying the planes sent a wave of shivers through him. Cool. Speaking of looking at things out my window, I live these days under the flight path of Manchester Airport's south runway. So planes do fly over me. And it is a bit strange in the daytime, especially when it's the really big ones that have been going to the Arab Gulf. Um, but at night, it's really something, especially when there's clouds in the sky because the planes have their fog lights on. So you see these weird beams of light moving through the night sky and it's like nothing on this world. It's so creepy, but so beautiful. And there, there's another Hanson story where I got that feeling. It's called, um, I think it's Tombstone of the Universe. Um, it's in the uh, collection translated by uh, Shueting Ni, where it, there wasn't really any murder or horror or anything but he just visits these huge vast graveyards in space that are monuments to last previous generations of humanity and it's like so somber and strange and lifeless Ooh, I don't know that's something I really enjoy about Han Song's writing that I wasn't so aware of reading stories years ago but I just wanted to ask all of you is this something you see in his stories um do you see them as horror, sci-fi, weird? Do you see them as similar to other writers you've read or totally unique? Like, what are your thoughts? Gonja, what, what do you think? Does he remind you of other writers you've read? Yeah, I, actually, I really, I, I like to follow up with the, the other story just mentioned about the tomb, actually, Tombs in the Universe. Mm -hmm. That is um, one of the first story I read about, I read from, from, from Hanson, actually, and that is, um, that is one of my favorites. 
especially because that story was divided basically into two parts, right? They appeared the time in the past and time in the future. And people just have found lots of tombstones in the universe and no, nobody knows where, where they come from. And, and, and they, they, uh, 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 later in the story, they just they, uh, dis disappeared. Are they, right? They just they disappeared and no one tells the reason why. So I was actually waiting for the translation for a long time because I, I really like to, 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 to write something about it. But if you don't have an English translation, it makes the referencing system much more difficult and much more, um, uh, yeah, much more difficult. So I was waiting for the translation. And that reminds me because uh, that is one of Han Song's earlier stories as well. And that one was written, uh, I think, in 1991. So basically one of his very first stories. And that story and his later story got a very different sense. At, at least I believe it. So that story was beginning of the 19, beginning at the beginning of the Chinese 1990s. And at that time, people were still confusing about how China is going on. So I can feel a sense of confusion in that story. Uh, but in this story, it's uh, published and it's not published, but written right about 10 years later than the terms of the universe. And we can see uh, there's more about confusion and, and, and there's more about, uh, yeah, you, you, can, you, can, you can feel the horrors, right? You can feel the gothic element inside. So people are not only confusing for something, but they are afraid of something as well. And, and the, 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 the society the, is also changing because you can see a sense of developmentalism, right? How, how to pronounce it? Developmentalism, so, I think. Yeah, exactly. So and people are, still, uh, are fighting for the GDP growth. And they are fighting for the economy, and I think that is what uh, the uh, what China is still trying to uh, convince people uh, with this grand narrative. So because we are doing everything for the growth of the country, right? For the growth, uh, hard and soft power uh, alike, and 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 everything. Because even though even though we have the market and we have the public voice rising from the market, but people, we are still confined. And we are still uh, influenced by a, a very strong voice from the grand narrative from the state. And that makes a kind of a doubling, I believe. So it's a doubling between a, uh, a bottom-up discourse based on the public voice and also a top-down grand narrative still controlling a certain part of society. So it's not, it's, it's quite interesting when the two sides of society can converge into one thing in this story and make it a very a conversation between the grand narrative and also the market powers as well. So in terms of relation with other writers, I believe Han Zong's really hard to find a counterpart either in China or outside. Um, people like to, to categorize Han Zong in science fiction, but I believe he, it, in, 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 a, in a more particular way, he is more aligned with the new weird writings. Um, if we can yeah, just date it back to uh, China Mayville and uh, M. John Harrison, people like them, uh, to, to writing some contemporary weird story and which writing, uh, which just the, break the boundaries between different genres, right? The science fiction, horrors and detective and, 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 and ghost story and a spooky, spooky stories, right? Um, yeah, so Hanson is unique.
and we 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 can only read a story in relation to uh, to the historical and and uh, and social backgrounds and to, to really understand what the messages he wishes to um, convey uh, within the stories I believe yeah yeah it's funny um so like I said I listened to our last chat um, episode 17 Guangzhou and we talked about something a little bit similar there you in talking about Beijing folding Beijing two years ago you mentioned uh, the Jiu Jiu Liu the 996 working uh, what would you call that model and you said that although it's it was not exactly popular it was a hot topic to be criticized there were plenty people including you know 20 something starting their careers that bought into it and thought yeah this is I think you, you phrased it pretty well you said these people felt that I'm young I have like surplus energy. I have surplus time. I should be spending that uh, to better myself further down the road and better my country. But of course, the um, the way that capitalism works, that surplus time and energy, and in this story, sleep, doesn't come back to you. It goes to your boss, and maybe some of it goes to the the the, the government via taxes. But if it comes back to you at all, it will only be very indirectly. So I, I know that since then, there's actually been some pushback against 996 in China from, as far as I'm aware, the government. There were some reforms to give, as far as I'm aware, because I'm not living there anymore, give working people a little bit more protection from, I guess, capital, from companies. Do you, do you think there's been a, a, a mood, a change of mood in China about that or Am I just getting all my news from the wrong places? I think I think you are right about it because two years ago, and people start to talk about the nine and six working uh, working situation. Then, but after the COVID, the COVID changed a lot. Mm. <clears throat> after the COVID, then people, especially among the young people, and they start to realize something's going on in the society, and the extra energy doesn't come back to truth. And and right now we're talking about a. Uh, a new movement called lying down movement so oh, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah we call it tanking yeah we call it lying down yeah we're not working we're not working on a six we're just lying down and, and whatever happened it doesn't really matter to me so i think it's i, I but i think it's not what people really want to do it's more like a mocking uh, uh, uh people talk about in the mockery mm. uh, in the mockery town but the the we, uh, we still have to work and no work, no money. So that's the current situation. But people are still, uh, I think the, it's more like um, uh, an, an informal and public resistance to this kind of a, a nine and six working uh, working mode. And the states and the, go- the government, they start to, uh, to issue more protection. But, you know, the legalization, the process of that is really long. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really... Uh, well, it doesn't. We don't. We we don't. We don't really have any solid policies to be uh, to uh, to to be issued in recent two years. Uh, the uh, the government starts talking things, and the the they say, yeah, we have uh, yeah that kind of topic on the schedule uh, for the next round of legalization. But it took years, uh, and. It took a long time, and during this long time, many things could be changed. Especially the no one, no one, no, no one, no one um, can imagine how COVID gonna influence us before it come to us. Uh, but the COVID, especially in the COVID, um, when the economy is not that 
strong compared to the time before that. And then people like people noticed that uh, our energy and our um, our time invested um, in working hard it doesn't really change very much about the personal life. And uh, because I noticed that people working for the self or personal aspiration is really thatcherized in a way, right? So uh, people are responsible for their own life and people take care of their own families and, 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 and relatives um, with uh, hard work. And if you work hard, you can get more um, um, result or more fruit, uh, more bread. And that is for personal aspiration. And you realize it because you work hard, you work harder than your peers. This, this feels to me really thoughtful, right? Especially in early 20, in 1980s. But in, in China right now, and we, we still to notice that it's not, the, it's not the thing. We didn't really get, we didn't really get many things um after we're working hard so that kind of a dream if you like to see a uh, dream aspiration doesn't really be uh, it, it's not really uh, realized in many ways so mm. i think people do start to yeah to rethink about all those kind of uh, um uh, schemes i think yeah um i'm sure for listeners who are in the us and the uk and maybe other western countries what i'm about to say will not be a particularly deep insight but here in the uk we didn't have you know we didn't have an economic takeoff like china over the last few decades so we've not had this problem of uh, an economy growing very quickly like very very quickly and then that growth beginning to level off the problem we have that affects my generation is housing prices. So for previous generations, it was very easy to get up the ladder, you get a job, then you'll be able to get a good mortgage on a decent house and that house will appreciate in value over time. So your assets become more and more valuable. You know, you follow the straight and narrow and uh, the economy delivers you some security and house prices have never stopped increasing. So that's nice if you want a house, but if you don't, you are getting a much, much, much worse deal. So although maybe salaries, I think salaries over the last few decades here in the UK have not, they've either stayed the same or gone up slightly, but relative to housing prices, they've shrunk massively because housing prices have gone up and up and up and up and up, especially in some areas. So yeah, there's a, maybe a similar feeling that hang on, we are, it doesn't seem like we're working any less hard than past generations but you get a you get a you know you get the ridiculously bad deal compared with your parents and it's impossible to ignore for most people these days i think especially if they're talking to talking to other people about it and to bring it back to uh, han song's story this is the xiaoji's problem is that he has a very limited number of people he can talk to about what's going on uh he's got his american uh, informant and then later the government official and that's it he can't even talk to his wife so there's a little bit of the what would you call it the the classic character um from genre fiction of like the one sane man in an insane world but it's good that we have these conversations in real life because we won't be the lonely insane person who doesn't understand what's going on it's, it's good to talk about this stuff Do any of you feel that there's a very obvious political message or metaphor or social message or metaphor in the story? Or do you find it's hard? 
hard to tell what Han Song actually thinks. Um, ladies, you've not spoken for a while. Uh, I would like to say something. You should then. <laughs> yeah, um, I think so. When I read the story, it it was easy to feel that the writer would be like like a a, a Chinese man in his fifties, and I found out he's just like a year older than my dad. It's like pretty typical, like that kind of uh, mentality for people in that generation, I think. And like because also they directly think American people are doing the evil deeds. <laughs> yeah, well they are. It's true, <laughs> right? And. And also because, according to, also because according to his age, cultural revolution was about to start, and during that time, they would use the terms like uh, like means down with the American imperialism and Soviet revisionism. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I think he's very influenced by that, and also. In the story, he mentioned that the government wants to deal with those people, the people wearing uh, red armbands. They were dealing with uh, happy, heavy metal singers, pioneer fiction writers, political pop artists, the ex-generation film directors, underground religious activists. And podcasters. Kill all the podcasters. <laughs> yeah so all those sort of people so he like listed these people i'm like right so oh. there's some legacy of like uh pre-market china there's some of the legacy of i guess cultural like you said cultural revolution china is there and yeah. we wouldn't get that from a younger writer like we wouldn't get that from xia jia or chen Fan or something yeah, I think uh, in an interview with Chen Jufan, he mentioned that he realized his uh, readers are worldwide, so he tend to write it with a more like international view. Mm. Yeah, there are. It's it's an interesting story because there are. You could imagine any, <laughs> pretty much any country, be they capitalist, communist, trying this trick. But there are some specifically Chinese things, like some of the things you just listed there. And the character, like we we're saying, he wrestles a lot with like his distrust of the American guy and his sense of national pride, um, which I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Jin, did, did that stuff stand out to you at all? Yes, in Hanzo's novel, he does not hide his political orientation, and uh, in my opinion, his um, expressions are too straightforward and um, explicit. And when I read the, the novel the first time, I read it, I think it's not interesting, just uh, <laughs> I don't like it. And the second time I reread it, I think it's... Um, Okay, the, there has something in it. And I found out that the setting of this story may be based on China's unique situation in the world political environment after World War. Mm, just like everyone wants to be better, mm, to be become a better version maybe of themselves. This is a very common state of mind and the same to a country. Mm, every country wants to become stronger to provide a better life for their people. 
especially for the country like China, who、yeah. got deeper in the national competition during modern time. Then, the, then the problem turns into how to achieve this goal at、uh, an already behind position, and how to balance the effort to achieve this、um, public aim with individuals' own life. Then the novel provides a possibility, a scary government route. In this case, we can easily. Even inevitably, to do a deduction according to this expressed in this article, which lead to the author's political thoughts and the emotional time. And then I want to emphasize, oh, that is it's a novel not published in China, and I and I first read it, I I was sure that will not be published, and I try to find a reason. I think it's not. That easy, because、um, we can we can、um, we can we can read it on the website. I think the first and most important thing of the story is it's a boring story. <laughs> As a sci-fi novel, its power of science, explanatory, and imagination are weak. <laughs> I don't I don't have fun with it, and.、Uh, And then I think that the content of the story involves, of course, it involves political smears, and as we all know, China's publishing industry is wary of causing causing trouble. I think it's not necessary to to afford the dangerous maybe for this novel. This, in my opinion, is a no. It's a normal. It's a boring, even boring story. Okay. So I wonder why there is an English trans <laughs> translation of the novel. Why the translator chose it, and what's the unique value of it? Obviously, in my opinion, it's not good enough. And I want to listen to you guys' views and find an answers through this talk. So. I don't speak much before that, and、uh, just for now, I don't have found a, a clue to to my to my to my question. Okay. Um. Back to the back to the political political will. I think. I think that both the world and people are completed, and、um, the reality of the world and a person's point of view.、Um, Also changing our time, and、um, as the Roland Bass proposed in nearly a century ago, the author is dead. Whether the political wills and emotion of the text text can be seen directly equal to the author's point of view is still questionable.、Mm, that's all. Yeah, and you can、um, you can write a story from a point of view that's not your own. You could experiment with other opinions, and I. I wonder if Han Song's the kind of guy that does that.、Um, one thing I want to、uh, respond to, then I'm going to ask a very important question to everyone else. When, when you said about、um, sort of post World War II and post Communist Revolution mission in China to catch up with other countries after having, you know, so badly fallen behind,、um, I had, I think, I had been introduced to that idea while living in China, but it really. I really got a clear picture of that when I visited the Shanghai Propaganda Poster Museum, which is an amazing little independent museum which is still running, I believe.、Um, 
And in there, there were some posters from, I think, the 50s, possibly also the 60s, but I think mostly the 50s during the Great Leap Forward, where the government was getting these artists to produce posters saying, come on, guys, let's overtake uh, the steel production in the UK or the overtake the blah, blah in blah, blah country, usually a Western like uh, capitalist country. So the mission was not just to grow the Chinese economy, but to grow a particular industry to the point where it's larger than that of another country's industry. And this is such a new thing for me. Um, political or economic conversations in the UK never adopt that angle of like, let's overtake this other country. So that's a perspective I would not, it would not have come to me had I not uh, lived in China and visited this museum and learned, learned the history. So yeah, the, the, the thing in this story of like racing to overtake other countries economically is um, yeah, it has a real historical basis, like you said, and it, as an outsider to me, it seems it's a, it's a funny one because China's population is literally the biggest in the world by quite a large margin. So to my mind, all, Chi all the Chinese economy has, has, has to do is develop at a regular pace. And it should just, you would think it would naturally be the winner in terms of size because it's got the most people working in it. So the, the, the fact that it can't happen soon enough for the people in the government is interesting because to me that seems like a psychological desire that that's people's emotions because if people had patience or could wait for future generations to take up the baton then their mission provided nothing goes drastically wrong should automatically you know be an automatic win just by numbers alone but that's all i wanted to say there I think there's a burning question that Jin's asked, and that's, is this story good or bad? <laughs> so uh, Scarlett and Guangzhou, did you find it boring? Do you see what Jin's saying? I don't really find it boring. It's quite readable, I think. I would just like keep going on. And um, yeah, um, I don't find it boring, I think. <laughs> Guangzhou, what about you? Oh, ah. Well, I think we have to define uh, boring, and, and yeah, we, we don't have to do this for today, but uh, Han Song is definitely not readable. So he's, he is definitely not a readable um, uh, author. And also, if we say that a story, especially for science fiction stories, they, they should be um, firstly for fun. Right, so we read the stories for fun, and definitely we mm. can't read Hanson for fun. <laughs> so this is a this is a sad choose. So in that sense, I that that is one uh, one of the ways why Hanson is not that uh, market uh, in in not that successful in the market compared to uh, Liu Cixin, right, and other writers like Chen Chen Jiufan, because their story we can read their story for fun, but for Hanson. It's a it's a terrible it's a terrible process and terrible experience reading <laughs> yeah, yeah. the story, and this one is one of the better ones actually. So we you can the the this story it does have a plot and it does have a story, uh, has a storyline uh, in it. But for many other stories, you can't really see what's happened, and and especially. Um, there are some stories I really personally haven't quite finished 
Red Ocean is one of the example. Uh, it's not translated, but that is a, a, a novel. It's a very long novel published in uh, 2004. Um, and it, it was divided into several parts and the, the several parts is sort of connected, but <clears throat> um, you can't really get the clue when you read it. And it's a terrible experience of reading it as well. And there are lots of um, uh, really difficult expressions in Chinese, and I can't, I can't really, I can't personally. I'm a Chinese native, and I can't really follow the right. story. And from the readability, it's not readable at all. And especially if you read the other stories like the subway, right? We talk about the subway, and we talk about. And, and even I heard the news that the hospital trilogy is the most recent work from, from, from Hanzong, the hospital trilogy, will be published in 2023. And will be translated by Michael Barry. So he's yes. a huge name in translation. And uh, I, I can't, I, I didn't really finish that trilogy and I, any of the installments. Uh, I just stopped in the heart. Um, I can feel the the sense of um, um, so so I, I don't know if we we can say it's boring because I can't really finish it. Uh, uh, so uh, from that perspective, it's boring. But uh, if you really if you wish to read something as as a work of literature, uh, this so-called serious and unpopular literature, and I think that is a way um, we can interpret it's not read we can interpret some messages from 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 the from the novels to so see him not as a popular writer but as a, just as a writer he is a writer but probably it's not for the popular genre as in science fiction because for science fiction we got some specific expectation right it, 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 uh, people have a uh, some some predetermined uh, understanding of what science fiction should be. Mm. Uh, Song is definitely not within that expectation. And so science fiction readers might find his work boring and find his work unreadable. Uh, yeah. So I think that's why, that's, that's the part of the reason we, we should, we should um, uh, put Hanzong away from science fiction uh, writers and to see him as the just as a as a writer, because many writers are not readable uh, from a certain perspective, and I I would say Han Song is one of them. Yeah, I wonder if I'm shielded a little bit from his writing style because I'm reading it in the English translation, and so if I try and think of all the Han Song stories I've read, um, there was Submarines from Ken Liu. Uh, there's the airplane and the passengers and regenerated bricks from the uh, reincarnated giant anthology. There's this one from exploring dark short fiction. Um, there's maybe some others I'm forgetting, but I've just read a handful of his short stories translated to English and none of them were written in especially difficult English. Some of the stories were a bit mysterious and beguiling. Uh, regenerated bricks was definitely um not not spelling out any answers it was quite mysterious and open to interpretation the rest of them were odd but i didn't feel that they were hard for me to understand like this story 
I think Jin, you said it. It's uh, it's very straightforward, and it just tells you what's what's going on. Um, not many things are left in question, but like aside from a few interesting vocabulary words that the translator Nathaniel Isaacson chose, like a somnambulant instead of sleepy or sleepwalking, I didn't find the English hard at all. Um, so I don't know. Have any of you had a look at the English translations or? Not at all. Well, I actually personally, I would say um, all these uh, all these stories translated uh, from from Chinese written by Han Zhong is the easier ones mm. actually. So uh, especially, I I just yeah, look through uh, the the story that has a tra- English translation, and actually they themselves are written in a in a quite straightforward way. So they are one of Han Zhong's easier stories to read and to follow. And those hard ones, it's it's even really really hard to be translated. And the Hospital Trilogy is one of them. So I really look forward to what the translation gonna be. Um, it's really hard to follow and really confusing, really ambiguous. So I so that's the reason why only people like Michael Berry have the capability of translating that sort of story. Yeah, interesting. It it does strike me that a lot, well, a lot. Quite a few weird fiction writers do go for strain in English. Do go for sort of strange writing styles. So like the big one that springs to mind is H.P.、Uh, Lovecraft, who wrote in a very sort of over elaborate, great big long sentences, crazy vocabulary、uh, style.、Uh, other writers I can think of, Jeff Vandermeer, he has a sentence in his. Annihilation trilogy that is written on a wall that spirals down like an underground lighthouse, and the sentence literally never ends. It just keeps on going and going and going and going with no full stop、uh, and no pause.、Um, off the top of my head, another writer I like in that genre, Thomas Ligotti, often uses very peculiar words, peculiar images, and sort of Lovecraft-style intricate. Overcomplicated sentences, ones that your your teacher would mark for grammar errors, but for literature make for something interesting. That sort of thing. So it makes sense to me that in the original Chinese, Han Song would be sort of bizarre and elaborate and difficult. But then Chinese and English are so different that yeah, it makes sense that translators would choose not to try and replicate that because yeah, how the hell would you do that without completely rewriting the thing? I wonder as well. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on this. Does the difficulty? I think Jin, you kind of you basically said this that the difficulty of the writing prevents him from becoming hugely popular, which might protect him from censorship. But do you think as well, if the writing is difficult, censors might just get bored or put off reading it,、um, so they don't put in the mental energy to interpret subversive messages? I know that. In general, movies in China are subject、uh, subject to more censorship than books, and that would make sense. Movies are easier to digest. Movies are very explicit, direct because they put the image right onto the screen, whereas books take more time. They have smaller audiences, and they're capable of being more subtle. Do you think that's a reason why Han Song is able to have a bit of a career? Well, is able to have a career as a writer in China. Yeah, I believe the、uh, Han Song is not.、Um, he is also a very high-ranking、uh, officer in the Chinese news news agency, 
and uh, I believe he got because um, uh, in 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 Chinese we got a, spe a specific a specific term for that called bianzhi, right? So because of a authority uh, established number of um, uh, the uh, the post the uh, the professional post in the government and also the government running agencies, and he is one of the listed um, and. So in the in 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 the system, so uh, I believe that is um it's not only that he he wrote really long, really tedious, and really confusing stories, and that no one's read it, so he can get published. And uh, I I believe that he got some specific authority and trying to back him up. Uh, it it might not that it might it, it might not that be um really. Uh, kind of a, a straightforward support from someone but people like reading his story and and these people they can have some voice um in in the background so i believe that's why han songs keep writing the uh his own his own, own stories in that from that perspective yeah but i'm not sure um whether this is right or wrong um just because yeah, Hanson's Hanson's uh, uh, professional identity is also one of the topics that people are trying to discuss. That he is, for one thing, a very important member in the Chinese news agency, and on the other hand, he's also a very—it's um, not successful, but really famous uh, science fiction writers uh, who 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 is known for this kind of political uh, messages hidden behind the text. So this kind of doubling for his own identity, um, some people are trying to discuss this, this topic as well, I believe, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a totally random question for you all. So I realize I'm the only Lawai here, which means I got something in common with one of the characters, the American guy who seems to be like a CIA spy. Uh, just wanted to ask what you guys think of the, the Meg Warren in this story? Do you think he's a, a good guy or a bad guy? Uh, I don't think he's a good person. But I think the writer wants us to think he's not, he's a bad guy. But the, yeah, but the guy himself doesn't necessarily be. But it's, it's weird. Still, I think it's because of his age or generation. One, he's showing Xiaoji what his wife was doing. And I kind of feel like, like he was like not respectful or anything, or probably like he's American. Mm -hmm. If that's his portrait in like a British person, he would probably do it in a more reserved or respectful a respectful way, more gentleman way. Oh, your wife is doing something not nice rather than just showing him directly. Yeah. I don't think we should read these um, CIA guy as American. Of course, in the story, he is American, but uh, in many of the Hanson stories, there are lots of foreigners mm. uh, getting got, got involved. And, and but I believe that these foreigners are not only foreigners, they represent the sense of the outcomer. So this outcomer is, uh, they, they, they are not necessarily coming from the other nations, other countries, but they can also come from other times and other spaces as well. Because uh, I just wrote an article for Science Fiction Studies and, and talking about the, uh, the, the Mars over America, uh, 
the Mars of America. It's not. It's one of the untranslated stories as well. Mm. But it talks about uh, a Chinese protagonist. It's a gold player traveling to the uh, to the United to the United States and stuck somewhere uh, in the United States because the uh, collapse of the of the utopian AI stuff. And in that story, many people many many people read, read that story as a, uh, a kind of a counter relation between China and the U.S. But in my interpretation, it's not with the U.S. Actually, it's about the China itself. It's a different historical period of China. So, um, but for this story, we have a we have a person coming from outside. Uh, it could be from the states. It could be from the UK as well, and it, it could it could be from uh, any part of uh, in the world. But the, the the important thing is a newcomer, uh, someone not us, not 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 from the inside, and they get involved in the in environment, and they trigger something, and this and also their their presence in that envir environment is not favored by the authority. Especially his conversation with people and his um, underground um, activities, uh, they are not welcomed by the states. And people and, and the state also also is, uh, was trying to eliminate these dissenting elements as well. So we have a difference. We have uh, something. We have a, some some element different from others from others. So I think the it could represent the kind of a, um, also a doubleness. Um, in the Chinese history, and also the different perspective, how we encounter China from a particular his historical period, and during that historical period, we also have the influences in the past that still functioning in the society. So that is why people feel confusing about everything, uh, because they are not from a, the same the same part of history. They are from the different part of history, and they are sort of compressed um, in a very short time, and they have to uh, inter, uh, uh, interact with other historical elements. So that is why we always have this uh, kind of a troubling uh, person and troubling character trying to, uh, uh, to to make fuss of uh, people's mind, right? To tell you, to tell something different from your uh, original understanding. And back then, so that is when the, the, the process of so-called enlightenment starts, is right? So you start to realize something is not that quite same uh, with what you are told by your uh, by the states or by what you can see from the society, so there are other layer of reality going on behind the scene. So I, for myself, I would read this American guy from that perspective. Not only American, is he's also from uh, outside the system. Yeah, mm. you reminded me a little bit there of the story I did on episode one of this podcast, uh, Madman's Diary. Kongren Riji, if I remember the Chinese right. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, there's there's the I guess in the, in the frame of this story, there's the daytime world where everyone is tired and they go to work. Then there's the hidden reality uh, that you need to be woken up to that you're being exploited in your sleep. In in uh, in that one, I guess that's the the most striking um, demonstration of that hidden world is the the words written between the lines of the Confucian texts, eat people, eat people, eat people. So also, I guess, about exploiting people. 
Sorry, I was off the net. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Welcome back. Can Can you hear me?、Mm -hmm. And I want to say something about the about the Americans. Is、Good. it too late? No, it's not too late. No. And the American will show up as a visual blower, and I have noticed him. And、uh, he is show up at the three, the chapter three, at the、uh, the first time, and.、Uh, At the beginning, he is not American. He's just a foreigner. I think the foreigner is really interesting thing.、Mm. Who is the foreigner in this novel? It re refers to an American. I think it's quite.、Uh, it's actually quite interesting thing. That leads to the question about the other. On this basis, that、uh, self reflection and understanding are introduced, and in this novel, American. May think like a、uh, a person who know the the fact, know the, know the truth, and he wanted to awake the people in in China, and who was、um, betrayed bad by the government. I think、uh, this、um, this this structure is interesting and could、uh, start it deeper, if someone want to start it.、Mm. Yeah, Guangzhou was just sort of mentioning that.、Um, Guangzhou, do you have any other like classic examples of these sorts of characters? In DG, I believe you have read the Wave Tide by、yep. uh, Chen Qiufan, right? And there are also one of the characters coming back from the、right. uh, from the states, right? So Chen, I forgot his name, but、uh, one of his the、uh, the protagonist or、so、narrator of the story. And coming from back from the state, and to get involved all this kind of uh, clan, <clears throat> uh, clan conspiracies, and also we have the American companies, right? We have the American companies and trying to uh, uh, some get some money from the、uh, waste recycling、uh, industry in that story. So I think <clears throat> because people coming back and people coming from the outside is one of the very important thing. Uh, not only in science fiction, but also in in a larger part of the Chinese literature.、Uh, unfortunately, I am I myself is not that familiar with that part of the mainstream Chinese literature, so shame on me. But、um, so I believe the other panelists,、um, Scarlett and Jing, could have more examples in that way because I learned very much from Mia,、uh, Mia Ma, the my friend at SOAS, and she knows definitely she knows、um, a lot of things about this. But I I haven't learned、um, enough from her. I'm afraid, but I I think Jing and Scarlett would have more example to share. Okay, that's fair enough. Is he before he's determined to be an American? Do you guys remember if he's referred to as Waiguoren or Lao Wai? He said Waiguoren. Waiguoren. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the thing that struck me being a Waiguoren in、uh, China was that that word was usually taken to mean a Westerner, which made me wonder if I was from like Africa or the Middle East or <laughs> South America,、um, would I be as still considered the same kind of Waiguoren? But usually, like if a, a Chinese friend asked me like for my opinion about the Western world, they'd say, "What do Waiguoren think?" And I'd be like, "Well." I'm only from one country, so I can tell you what Scottish people or or、uh, UK people think, but I can't speak for Americans and I can't speak for all of the outside world. But yeah, maybe maybe in this story, that's the point. It doesn't matter where he's from; it's just that he's from somewhere else. Yeah. 
my tutor is just starting the Weigorian discuss in the in the paper and in the literature works. Yeah, can you tell us more about that? In eighteen in eighties, maybe maybe many the foreigners the Weigorians refer to the the person who came from American or Europe. We don't use the we don't use this word to describe, but just like Japanese or Thailand people, it's just a unique. It's just kind of a unique word referred to the to the to the European or to the Americans. Yeah, which is I think that can confuse English speakers because when we learn the word, we're told it means foreigner, but of course. Foreigner does not refer to any specific parts of the world. It just means you're from some other country. So yeah, I guess if anyone's listening and learning Chinese, that's that's a useful thing to know. Yeah, that's interesting because、uh, when I was little, when I was in the、uh, primary school, when when I when we were talking about Weigorian foreigners, so the first impression、uh, I got would be people like Angus, like you are definitely one of the Weigorian, and. You mean a white person? Yeah, white person, Anglo-American. But it's not only it's not Anglo-American, but it's French people, like people from the Europe.、Western、so we can distinguish from the distinguish. Yeah, from yeah. <clears throat> he's from 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 somewhere、um, in the Europe or in the in, in North America. And, and I think part of the reason is we can't really, at least for me, for myself, I can't really distinguish the Korean people and Japanese people from ourselves, which got I think which got、um, more population in China than、uh, Westerners,、uh, the, the the yeah the West, so-called Westerners in in, in China, and、um, yeah, but I I don't know why, but when I was little and I was very young and and when when we were talking about the the things. And my first impression gonna be that.、Uh, I think also part of my very it's a very very personal story, so I can't speak for others as well. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, one of my favorite parts of Shanghai、uh, when I lived there was the Korea town because that was not just a Korea town actually. That was a part of Shanghai that had a lot of well, technically Weigorian, lots of non-Chinese people, but not. Western Europeans, not really even Eastern Europeans, not North Americans. It was、uh, it was expats from neighboring countries, basically. So Koreans, but also Japanese. I think maybe also Hong Hong Kong people as well. So a lot of、um, people. If I'm walking on the street, if I'm you know if I'm just looking, I won't I wouldn't really know who's from elsewhere, who's not. I would have to use my ears to to listen to what language they're speaking, and it was yeah, it was just interesting.、Um, Interesting in that it felt kind of similar to some of the、uh, Westerner-heavy parts of Shanghai. Some of the the dynamics you would see, but on the other hand, just totally different. And I could go on and on and on and on and on about that, but that's nothing to do with this story. So I'll 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 stop there. We've been talking for a while now, so I think we can go on to the miscellaneous section, the sort of lighter section. So my first miscellaneous question was be if you could think of a Chinese word of the day. To like attach to this story, what one would it be? I'm gonna go for.、Um, assuming I can remember this one correctly, Tang Ping lying down. It's Tang Ping, right? Tang Ping lying down. Yeah. Tang Ping. Yeah, because that's what everyone wants to do. <laughs> everyone really needs to sleep, but they can't. So that's my word of the day. 
Anyone else got one? Uh, my word of the day would be down. So it's a word from the story. So it means careless and carol undisciplined. So the other way around of people from the story. Oh, right. So was that diao ar? Yeah, ar diao Okay, got it. Uh, Guangzhou, would you name? Would would you add any other words? Well, is it boring to see to say a sleepwalking from the story Meng Yu? No, right? Because I think Meng Yu sleepwalking really speak to the to the um to to the theme of the story, right? Yeah, I think it does. So Meng Meng Yu, that's Yu like Lu Yu, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remembered. I didn't forget all my Chinese. Yeah, dream and travel and make sleepwalking. Dream travel. Nice. Uh, thank you. And Jin, do you have any, uh, a fourth word of the day that you would want to add? I think it's maybe, yeah, it means close your eyes ah. and that uh, you can sleep. <laughs> Perfect. Or close your eyes and you can um, forget about the horrible truths about your society. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Next miscellaneous question. If you could pair a piece of music with My Country Does Not Dream, uh, what would you go for? So this one's kind of hard, but if no one's got one, I've got one I can think of. I have one, I have one. I don't really think, isn't it a fit? But if I have to match one, the first song came into my head is Blue Earth. Which is this song is the opening song of the Animal World program on CCTV channel. I used to watch it every day. I kind of grew up with this song. It's really interesting. Why did you pair that with My Country Does Not Dream? I don't know. I just uh, it just occurred in my in my brain. I don't have I don't have the idea of why I will think it will fit it. Do you have any music you'd pair with this one? I got one, and I think it's it's quite great for the story. It's called "Woman great road uh this song was my class sung for the choir competition in junior school and we won the first out of the 18 classes and i immediately thought of this song saying this question because it's a patriotic song and you can 
Uh, you can find, uh, I'll send you a link later. You can find there are three different versions. The original version, the one for Cultural Revolution and the contemporary one. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, shall I play you the music? Or uh, I'll, wanna check it I'll edit it into the episode, but if you want to let us hear it, um, you can like play it into, well, you can play it into your microphone or you can give us the link, whatever you like, and then we'll know, if you want, we'll know what you're talking about. Okay, I'll leave it to you then. Okay. So I'm sure when you play this music and you can find the vibe from the music, I chose the Cultural Revolution uh, version because it just pushes you to go ahead in the lyric, it states all the time in, in every paragraph. So in that story, those people wearing uh, red armbands, they are saying the songs of the 1960s and 1970s. And this could even be one of them, I think. And um, also, as I mentioned before, in the sound, there's a line saying the American imperialism and Soviet revisionism are going to perish, which is <laughs> uh, which fits the story too. Like, and as that spy guy is American, yeah. The kind of picture of work that you sort of described there about it being a collective thing where we got to like strive hard and work. Where I um, got my first sort of, I think the first contact I had with that idea wasn't or that sort of mindset rather wasn't really from China. It was from pictures you'd see of Japanese workers doing like their sort of work exercise routines all together. And I don't know, it, it doesn't seem strange to me now. I've seen Chinese like workers from like fast food places and uh, hairdressers doing the same thing together. But as I think as a Westerner from what is in many ways more individualistic society, it's not just a cliche. This idea seems like kind of, I don't want to say ridiculous, that seems mean, but it seems really quite foreign because it's not like we don't have patriotism here in, in uh, the UK or in any Western countries, but I think it takes very different forms. The idea of someone expressing their patriotism in the UK by working very hard at work, it's unimaginable. People come up with selfish reasons to work hard at work or you know, to make themselves rich or maybe um, pathetic reasons like to impress their boss or to help their company. But the idea of working hard to forward the nation is something you just, I don't think you'd encounter it here in the UK. But the fact that we can get that from a cultural revolution song or from a story about a much more capitalist era is, I don't know, it does seem like kind of a, if not a Chinese characteristic, then at least a uh, foreign characteristic to me as a westerner so yeah that was a bit of a long response to a simple thing but i i felt i wanted to say it um does anyone want to respond to that or shall i share my 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 song that i would pair with it all right i'll just go ahead um so i've got something totally different i've got a remix of an old uh i actually don't really even know the genre uh, i guess drum and bass an old a remix of a drum and bass track from the 90s uh that was this genre of dance music that probably was blowing up in the uk when i was a small small child like learning to walk sort of age and the remake it the song's called terminator i i i'm not sure why 
but there's a remix of it that like speeds it up and brings in clips from the movie Terminator. And I discovered this track um, in a listening to a mix of music put together by Mark Fisher, who I've mentioned before on the show. And one of the things Mark Fisher was interested in was the sort of political theory of accelerationism. He was a left-wing thinker, so he was sort of keen on left-wing left-wing accelerationism, but it takes many forms across the political spectrum. And the idea of accelerationism I mean, the, the clues in the name is to make things go fast, that speeding speeding up politics and the economy and society is a, is a desirable thing to do, either in and of itself or to reach a particular goal. And a thing I've noticed in my new job, which is an industry magazine for the pharmaceutical industry, is that people running businesses love to talk about accelerate this, speed up that. There is not much talk about how to make the world a nicer place outside of the context of making the business more slick. Because the logic goes, if you can speed things up, if you can make them more efficient, if you can upscale them, increase the scale, then you can uh, lower prices, lower barriers, make things smoother and easier. So for example, talking about replacing uh, humans with machines in the factory, that is to them, it's a morally good thing because it can make your business more efficient, it can make your product cheaper and never mind the people that got laid off. Um, so the reason I bring up Terminator is the story of the Terminator films is about something from the future coming back in time to prevent, well, it's to prevent that future from being stopped. But a sort of a fantastical idea in this pro-capitalist version of acceleration is accelerationism is that capitalism is basically going to build itself that if you if you leave it alone it will put itself together and the but the desirable thing sort of in a way is to is to speed it up artificially and it doesn't matter if it distorts humans destroys humans um warps creates strange things in society it just it's it's you know it's going to become the thing that rules us and there's not much we can do about it and in the song you totally feel that vibe it becomes it starts off a bit eerie and then it becomes very inhuman and bizarre in a way that i think only electronic music could so that's what i would go for sorry i talked about that for so long there is out there it's maybe a bizarre music choice because it doesn't necessarily channel the vibe of the story because it's not Actually, it does. The story does get violent at a point, doesn't it? When he's getting chased, it gets quite intense. So I would probably set uh, that remix over the bit where he's running away from the men in black and getting shot at because it's intense. So yeah, uh, that would be my song. The next bit I've got is a bonus question. So I would put this one up on the Patreon feed for the show for people who want to support the show. And it's actually linked to the song I chose. It's about supercharging the economy. So in this story, 
the Chinese government pulls a bit of a trick, basically, to make their economy more powerful. They eat up people's sleep uh, to use it for economic production and consumption. But if you guys could use some kind of crazy science fiction technique or magical technique to boost the economy uh, or supercharge the country, like what, what would you do? What would your crazy scheme be? Do you have any ideas? Because I'm, I actually didn't think about this. I would need to think about that. Guangzhou, do you have a, a, a crazy plan to make the economy go twice as fast? Um, that's the end of the bonus section, I guess. Um, so coming back down to sane, sane, normal discussion, uh, I wonder if we want to point the readers to any other stuff like this story, if they enjoyed it. Or, Jean, since you didn't enjoy this story, maybe you could suggest some alternative reading for listeners. Um, does, any, what, does anyone have any recommendations right off the bat? I can recommend some of my favorite novels like uh, Holographic Rose Fragments and Burning Crumbs, Hathaway. Mm, I'm always trust uh, William Gibson. Mm, and uh, maybe I can use the hottest word in Chinese context to express this, YYDS. It's a pin in short, but we all say it in the English letter song, which literary meaning is external gold. And often used to describe an awesome subject. And uh, if someone's interesting is on Chinese novel can't be published in China. Liu Cixin's um, 2,195 made your choice. 2,195 is Liu's first novel and is also his only cyberpunk work. Mm, even some Chinese researchers like me will forget that Liu is a computer en- engineering and uh, thought he haven't written novels in cyberpunk style. But I'm not sure whether the novel has the English Edison. What What did you say it was called? 2185. 2185. Oh, interesting. Uh, no, I don't think that one's out in English, but... They do bring out quite a lot of the Otsushin in English translation, so maybe it's just a matter of time before someone does that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also that one at the start of the Chinese New Wave, is, uh, as uh, Dr. Song Yingwei says, so China 2185, so they, he believed that is the start of the Chinese New Wave. Interesting. You said YYDS is opinion short, so what does that stand for? 永远的神. 永远 means forever, Shen it means God. That's the, the literal meaning. Right. And what does, what does that, is that the name of a novel? What does it mean in this context? Angus, it's kind of a, you know, daily conversation that when you, when you think something's really good, oh. something should be recommended, and then you say this kind of stuff is YYDS, it's kind of eternal God, and then you should read it or like it. Oh, right. Okay. I, I understand now. Interesting. Right. I'll make sure that one's in the show notes. Thanks, Jin, for your recommendations. Scarlett, where would you point uh, our listeners for more reading? I can't think of too much. I would say maybe Brave New World could be something similar in the feeling of it. Yeah. It, it's not like um, too classic. 
No, no. I think a lot of people have heard about one, but not everyone's necessarily read it. And I, I think an interesting, or what I think is interesting anyway, parallel between um, Brave New World and this story, or Hansong, some of Hansong's comments that he made when he came on to the London Chinese Sci-Fi Book Club to talk about the work, is that there's something sort of desirable about these kind of scary worlds in these stories. So in Brave New World, everyone's happy. It's not like in 1984 by George Orwell, where everyone is oppressed. Brave New World would be an okay place to live if you don't know what's wrong with it, because you get you get happy pills. You don't, yeah. as far as I'm aware, you don't have to work too hard. Um, the well, I won't, I won't, I won't spoil anything too much, but people's sexual desires are. Of, can be fulfilled in interesting new ways. Yeah, so it's like the opposite way. And also, by the way, definitely don't recommend the series of it. Oh, right. Is there a show? Yeah, yeah. It's not It's not good? No. Okay, I'll avoid that. But yeah, um, so there's something kind of desirable about that world. And in, um, there are, like I said, there's moments in My Country Does Not Dream where Xiaoji says something like, the light is always brightest in the dark. There's something fascinating about the world that's being created. And he does have some mixed feelings. He has some positive feelings that it's a way to boost the power and influence of China. But in uh, when Han Song was talking about the story and he was relating the situation in the story to how he feels about modern China, I think he said something along the lines of that you have to, ex- if, if, if you can't really change the, the direction that things are moving in, all you can really do is accept the world, accept that there's a dark bargain going on, that maybe you can improve your life by working for your country, even if it doesn't, you know, even if you're being exploited and even if um, you maybe don't agree with everything your government's doing, you just have to live with that bargain. And if you can enjoy some benefits from it, as many people in China have, you know, people's lives have got better. And I could think of a parallel here. Maybe, I, maybe my generation's not getting richer, in the UK, but we are getting nicer gadgets, better streaming services. You know, you get something out of the dark bargain. So yeah, um, that's why I think Brave New World and not 1984 would be the right of the you know the right of those two classics to pair with this one. So I think that is a good choice. Long story short, there are Guangzhou. Uh, where would you point readers? Um, I can't really imagine anyone like reading Hansong's story for fun. But if there are some people like them, uh, they, they should be looking forward to the, <clears throat> the new translation for the Hospital Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that is the latest novels uh, written by Hansong, written, uh, published in 16, uh, 17, 18 uh, in a row. So it's a, it's a trilogy, so it's called Hospital Trilogy. And it, it is even more confusing, more ambiguous than the story we're reading today. So they, they can have a try for them. And also, uh, there are also uh, there there is um, also a British writer I I find uh, we can read together with Han Song is Andrew Harrison, and his uh, recent it's not recent but his one of his latest stories um, novels um, the Kavahuchi trilogy. K E F A H U C H I Kefa Huchi Trilogy uh, is uh, um, there are three installments, right? So the Light and Novus when uh, Light was published in two thousand two, and Novus when in two thousand six, 
and also uh, the the last one I forgot the title, but it was published in uh, twenty twelve. So that trilogy is so you can also get a sense of um, these ambiguities in those novels as well. Okay, and I'll recommend an author I may have name dropped on the show before because he's got a very ambiguous story uh, called the Hospice. So maybe it's more connected with Han Song's Hospital trilogy than than this story. But it's a similar thing. Um, it's incredibly ambiguous, and the set, the writing style is often uh, rather um, ele- like elegant. I suppose it's not that hard to read, but sometimes you got to sort of blink and read the sentence again. So the author is Robert Aikman, and uh, the story is called The Hospice. And in the story, a guy—it's going to sound so mundane—a guy is driving along a road. He's looking for somewhere to stay. And he ends up at somewhere that seems to be a hotel, but then seems to also possibly be like a either an old person's home, like a home for old people, a care home, but then also seems to seem a little bit like a prison or an underworld as well. And the story gives you no answers. Um, and I won't spoil as to whether the main character gets away or not, but if 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 um our descriptions of like a strange ambiguous and difficult story sounds exciting to any of our readers um i'd recommend that one and to be honest a lot of robert Aikman's stories because they're definitely in the horror and weird probably more so in the weird and strange zone so that's my recommendation uh last question sort of along similar lines what's it what are all of you guys reading just now these days I've been reading a collection of robots by Asimov, which is consists of 31 short stories. And I also read some researchers related to narratology. As for personal read, occasionally I started Zhuangzi, which is a oh. charming sort of the Warring state period in China, and then um, it's my boyfriend's research, so I read it uh, a lot and right. uh, occasionally. So another, well, I don't know if all of Zhuangzi's writings are kind of beguiling. I only know the one about the butterfly, but um, yeah, interesting that we're on that theme. Um, Scarlett, what about you? What What are you reading just now? Uh, I just finished a short one called Beiguanzhuyi de Huadua by Liao Yimei. It's called Pessimist's Bouquet, but unfortunately it's not translated into English yet. And so the writer, uh, he's always a playwright, she wrote, right, uh, my God, how to say this? Rhino, <laughs> uh, Rhinosaurus in Love. The play was translated by BBC a few years ago, I think. Um, so she's uh, she's from Beijing, and her writing style is kind. I feel like it's kind of like the female version of Wang Shuo, and there are like mm. too many highlight uh, sentences from that book. I even wrote down in my notebook. So yeah, it's a short one. You can finish in one or two days. So if you want to have a relax i would recommend that cool and guan Zhao, what are you what are you reading these days i am reading uh china mievos the uh iron council so the last trilogy last dormant of the past trilogy um yeah i find it's really exciting as well yeah cool okay uh well 
I recorded uh, episode 71's interview yesterday. So the book I'm reading since then has not changed. It's the Onion Cause Lenin's Kisses. But I did actually finish um, a book that I went away on a holiday and left the end unfinished, then just finished it, I think, yesterday, day before yesterday. It was another book by that Robert Aikman fellow. And it was his uh, first of his two autobiographies, The Attempted Rescue, which was about sort of his childhood and life as a young man up to the start of World War II. So it's not really, doesn't really have much bearing on anything we talked about, but I thought I'd name drop it. So yeah, that that's us at the end, really. We've had a very good chat, I think. Is there anything we've not discussed that you guys would like to uh, get out there so that listeners can be, I don't know, properly informed? Is there anything we've not said that you want to say? I might have like one, I wanted to add it to one of your questions about like Chinese people's opinion on Waiguoyuns. It's it's kind of funny. It's like they have those posters in the notice board telling like Chinese young girls not to date foreign guys. But it's like a comic strip or something telling you like they might using you to steal information from you. Oh, I've seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> you right. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's that one made me wonder how many just how many working young women in China have state secrets surely it can't be that many but yeah like i suppose corporate secrets are a thing too <laughs> so i guess thank you thank you all for coming on board um thanks for keeping your state secrets secret everybody that it's good that you didn't couldn't didn't spill the beans uh likewise i did not spill any top secret Scottish secrets to you, except the plan to, of course, seize the nuclear weapons. So yeah, on on that note, just thank you all for for coming along. It was a, it was a fun conversation. Yeah, thank you, Angus, for inviting all of us. Yeah, really, really happy to be back. Yeah, no, it's great to have you back, Manjal. And it was actually very fun re-listening to uh, the folding Beijing episode. I think that was a good one, and hopefully we've topped it by bringing in uh, more Kohuan enthusiasts. Yeah, that was the episode taking me, uh, taking me involving in your show. Oh, that's that's what made you a fan. Yes, yes, yes. Ah, okay. Well, I suppose that would be the one Guanzhou shared with you guys, presumably in the WeChat group. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did share the information, share the words. Power of WeChat. And we've reached the end. So thank you again, Scarlett, Jin, and of course Guanzhou. Amazing to have you on. Amazing to talk about Han Song. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you, London Chinese Science Fiction Book Club. Now remember, listeners, if you want to join their events, then go to their Twitter or go to their WeChat group. If you're having trouble finding anything, then hit me up. I will make sure that you get onto their mailing list. And if you've got WeChat, I'll get you into their WeChat group. That's a promise. It is a promise from the bottom of my heart. Now, also from the bottom of my heart, more plugs, I'm afraid. First one, the Churchific Patreon. I am still pumping out bonus episodes. There is at least one from every show, as you may have surmised, the bonus question. I can tell you that the uh, the answer for this episode's bonus question was quite amusing. Guanzhou, especially, <laughs> he really caught me off guard with um, with uh, yeah his, his scheme to sort of financialize something as a new form of like 
bond or future or currency. My my uh, economic vocabulary outmatches my economic knowledge of what those vocabulary words actually mean, unfortunately. I think Guanzhou knows this stuff better than I do. So yeah, the Patreon has more bonus episodes than we've got normal episodes. They tend to be about half an hour long-ish. The bonus question um, segments are not quite that long. Like, for example, this recent on six minutes, just so you know. Um, you can you can join that from one USD a month and up, basically. And all the tiers of membership have amusing names. They're not differentiated otherwise, to be honest, I'm not clever or industrious enough to figure that out, but yeah, if you want to support the show, that's a great way to do it. But um, rather than supporting the show with money, I think a better thing you can do, to be honest, is just subscribe to the show if you're not already subscribed, but also like get in touch, let me know what you thought of the episodes. You can do that via social media, I'm on Twitter at, at AngusLikesWords, this show has its own Instagram, it's at Trichifik, T-R-C-H-F-I-C. Links to those in the show notes. Also, a link to join the Discord is in the show notes. That's a place to talk to other fans as well as myself. It has been growing lately, actually. We've had um, more conversations there not initiated by myself, which I that's just fantastic to see, to be honest. It fills me with tiny little bubbles of happiness, if happiness can indeed take the form of a bubble. Um, yeah, so those are, those are your plugs. I'll now just tell you the traditional thing that is the best thing you can do to support the show, and that is of course telling people by word of mouth. I don't know if this is actually the most effective way to spread the word about a show, but I'm going to tell myself that it is. So don't just tell yourself things, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your estranged wife, and tell the local government official that is fucking your estranged wife, (laughs) if we're keeping on the theme of the show. Uh, If you don't have such a local authority, then just tell your local reputable, um, maybe reputable library staff they might want to know they you know they like books they're smart people they should like this show but uh, maybe maybe ease away from the f-bomb when when you're talking to them and maybe don't and don't give them the dark fiction episode recommendations first maybe point them towards something nicer like uh Shiaja or Valer or something so yeah um, I'll, I'll stop trying to dig myself a hole and just say Sai Jian goodbye and stay tuned for the next episode and also Sai Jian.